on this episode of Comedy Rewind. Does Can't Hardly Wait nail the high school party better than any other teen movie? How did they land such a huge cast of future Hollywood stars? Would smartphones and social media ruin the plot of this movie in just about every way? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on guys? Welcome back to Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio Technica and Manscaped as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and joining me in this light, he somewhat resembles David Duchovny. It's Brendan White from The Hungry Gamers. God, I've, I've been called worse today. I'll certainly take that. I, I haven't seen what Duchovny looks like this, like, recently, but I remember him in... um. Whatever that show was where it was like a sex crazed rider and he still yeah. didn't look too bad. Californication. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know what he's up to. But I don't know what he's up to these days. But I'll take it. I'll take it, mate. Mm. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I feel like I'm just the uh the comedy rewind ringer. But uh yes. mate, I'll I'll wear that mantle, like I'll put that uh trophy on my on my mantle and show it with pride. You are, but that's in a good way because, you know, it's always always good to have someone reliable to come in and be up for it which which you are with uh can't hardly wait which is our movie this week i gave you a few options and you selected this teen classic from 1998 i think yeah and man there's uh this was like just before the big boom of teen comedies in the late 90s we obviously had Clueless just before this, and then afterwards came American Pie, Ten Things I Hate About You, and it just was kind of before. I mean, there's a lot of like cliches and stereotypes in this movie, but I feel like they got in just before they really got to that point where you had to be a bit more creative. What was your your first memory watching this movie? Because I def- definitely didn't come to it until probably I was in late teens. It was tough, like, and that's probably the toughest sort of question on the docket tonight for me, really. Like, I had to sit and think, and I'm like, do I remember what was going on at the time, or did this movie have sort of a big impact on me? And you're right, it is sort of the tip of the spear as far as the the sort of teen comedy uh, juggernaut that followed after this. But um, I think my personal memories and experiences of it is, is just the music. Like, this was when I was sort of really, really going down a deep sort of pop punk and just sort of general punk sort of spiral and um one of the one of the bands that gets highlighted in the movie which is funnily enough they're not on the soundtrack but their their music is played throughout it as eve six which is a band i absolutely adore to this day and um they've got i think two songs that played throughout the throughout the movie um and and that was probably the immediate thing i i reattach myself to when i when i watched this again uh last night was like this was the first song that opened the opened the opened the uh the film itself uh got a little bit of insight out there by by eve six and i was just like oh yeah okay i am young teenager brennan again i remember i had some like ridiculously fluoro orange rib curl shorts a toy machine t-shirt i used to wear religiously had like spiked wristbands and a, a, a wooden necklace and I was living my best sort of skater punk life. I couldn't skate, but like I certainly looked like I could at least carry a skateboard. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's sort of that's where it ties to me from memories and experiences. Just being a, a little hooligan teenager, uh, playing with my disc man, or I might have got a, had a mini disc player by then. Funnily enough, I don't know why I had one, but I got one. And um, yeah, that's that's this movie for me. It just ties into my 
my musical mm. obsession really starting to form in those early teenage years. Yeah, I, that's that's similar to me. Like I, I also had the whole skate punk who couldn't actually skate thing going on. And it was those years later that this movie appealed to me. Obviously, at 1998, I was 11, so it wasn't I wasn't in the audience for this and I wouldn't have appreciated it anyway. But yeah, it, for me, being a huge like Blink-182 fan in, in late high school and knowing that okay so first of all they have a song in the movie damn it but then yes I think they do by watching this movie i remember reading that mark hoppus was inspired to write going away for college from the enema of the state album and that was probably what made me go okay that's that's a movie i have to watch because that was like that age of discoverability where like someone references something and then you know whether it's clerks or something and you go out and watch it and then watch all the other kevin smith movies and that's what it was for this for me was was hearing that this movie inspired that song and uh some of those you know emotions and feelings happening in in the film and watching it as someone that's been through high school been through university it's so nostalgic even though that the era is a good kind of seven years before i was at that point because i think that's what, what's really cool about it is that it's so relatable and it doesn't matter what year it's set in or what decade it's even set in is you can identify people or, or archetypes or stereotypes in the movie and either relate to them or remember people who were like that or there's like mm-hmm. an equivalent of it now it might not be exactly the same you know um like kenny the character kenny played by seth green like that that character might not be the same as it is now it might be something else but you, you know that that person that's kind of not quite sure their identity if they're comfortable in their skin and that kind of thing so that was something i really enjoyed about rewatching. it was just the nostalgia it certainly scratched an itch that i didn't know i had at the time when uh, i was re-watching it last night like it's just a good fun movie like there's a few things where you sort of cringe and go oh boy all right that's that is yep peak 90s with some of the some of the tone and the 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 slander getting thrown around but overall it's great and seeing seeing the cast and it's probably something we'll talk about more in, in a yeah. minute but like seeing a lot of these people that are still very familiar to us uh what is it now uh 12 years on no 22 years on yeah yeah 22 years on my maths yep. is right <laughs> and they're still on our on our screens or in our ears in podcast form or whatnot it's it's crazy there, mm. there are so many so many talented people making cameos and some that don't even get uh get mentioned in the credits or have a line but they're just there and uh such such a good movie yeah it's insane like and and some of the people that you just like referenced would be people we wouldn't even know about for like another five or six years like jason siegel's in this movie and i didn't know who he was until how i met your mother came out which was like 2006 so that was like eight years later i know he had done freaks and geeks and some other stuff but yeah to to see the cast of this movie it's it's kind of trippy to go back and watch it because uh i read up a little bit about the the directors and the writers of this movie uh harry elfont and deborah kaplan they they wrote it and they directed it and one of the the ideas for the concept was you know what's an easy and cheap thing to do we could just rent a house and film a movie with a bunch of young actors who you know don't need much money because they're not established they're unknowns and what would be an easy thing to do? Oh, it could be a party movie. And they, they thought of their favorite 
like teen movies from from their childhood and all the best scenes were the party scenes so they said let's just make the whole movie a party scene yeah <laughs> and it's so true like yeah, you think about like, like, animal house worked really well let's uh yeah. let's just sort of play with that and make it a little bit more modern but if you think about like the other teen movies we've done on here 10 things i hate about you american pie the most memorable parts are those party scenes and they've and this is essentially oh, like yeah. 90 minutes of it so it, it's just like so much fun the whole time really as as you said i think it's because it's relatable like you see all the stereotypes at the party and you're like oh yeah i was that person or i remember my best mate was this one or i remember that the you know the girl from my school being just like her like it just sort of brings up so many touchstones and yeah it just makes you feel like you're young again god i wish i was young again. no i don't actually maybe just a little bit younger they really played into the the character types though because even if in the names that they've been billed as it's like girls whose party it is exchange student like jock number one jock number two and mm-hmm. some of the characters that got cut out were like girl who drank too much and stoned girl and i think yeah. jason siegel was called water- watermelon guy and in the yeah. trailer they cut it out because he's like i poured seven bottles of vodka into this watermelon last year and you know, I've been waiting till now to, to eat it and then the watermelon drops on the ground and breaks. And he got kind of cut back to just this guy that was chilling and, and answering some questions when Jennifer Love Hewitt's character comes around. Um, I, I think there, there was a version of this movie that was way more like adult and, and less PG-13 and that would have been an interesting movie to see because it, it has been toned down a lot. They, they removed a lot of those like drug references and, and things like that. So... I think it was a, a of the time, you know, Scream had come out and m- movie studios were looking for th- movies that appealed to young people. Uh, and it was, mm. you know, at a time when there was enough young people to go and watch the movie that they didn't have to target it to adults as well. But they were also trying to reach that like broader teenage base rather than the people that it really would appeal to the most, which was the people experiencing those things. Let's look at the Rotten Tomatoes score. A movie made $25 million, not a whole lot of money. Definitely not when you compare it to like, well, the next year, American Pie made $200 million. Which is insane. This was filmed with a really tight budget of 10 mil. So how do you think the critics took this one? I'd say it might be a pass. Like I'm, I'm gonna put put a feeling around fifty-two. Mm, Forty percent. So. Ooh. Yeah, they they weren't that's the biggest rough. fan. Yeah. Roger Ebert and Co were pretty savage back then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you had to really do something with this type of movie to 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 get past those guys i think even yeah uh, 10 things i hate about you it's like the classy kind of version of this style yeah. of movie and i think that that's probably something that would have been a lot fresher than 40 percent. but um yeah uh the a really this isn't from a critic at the time but it's a quote that i pulled from an article that i think sums up the movie really well it's from the ringer they do like they did a 20-year retrospective a couple of years ago they said it evokes a simpler time without cell phones or social media, a time when it was still possible to suspend your disbelief and convince yourself that the teenage boy carrying around a love letter for a girl he's never spoken to is just a hopeless romantic and not a disturbing stalker. A time when teen movies came with a sweet sheen of perfection and innocence. <clears throat> and innocence. And I, I like that. I think that that 
like as we look back that really kind of sums up at least how we would feel about it but you can i can see how people at the time especially your film critics were just looking at it and going yeah it, it checks off every kind of teen movie stereotype that we've already seen before yeah it does it doesn't tread into any unknown territory for this type of type of genre that's for sure it it stays in its lane it knows what it's trying to do when the messages it's trying to convey but that's not a bad thing either because mm. it doesn't feel like there is any type of imposter syndrome going on from the writers or the actors i think everyone knows exactly what they're there for and um even as a viewer it feels the same like you're not led astray there's no big swerves mm. you know how it's going to play out where ultimately you know preston the good guy is going to get his girl that he's a bit obsessed with for four years ever since they shared a like indirectly Pop-tart. shared the same strawberry pop tart and things like that you know yeah. so yeah and it's nice and, and it's good to be able to switch your brain off and almost put your put your brain on rails almost watching movies sometimes where it's just fun just sit in and enjoy the ride and, and that's what i did re-watching this last night yeah and even though it's that type of movie it still feels pretty authentic like it doesn't feel like any some of the characters are a bit over the top but most of them actually feel like yeah i actually believe that this person exists which you can't say that for a lot of of these teen movies no i'm with you i'm with you as as we sort of said in the opening like so many of these characters like you're you're mike dexter like that's that's to me from my school that's jason clark he was my best (laughs) mate but he's also the the egomaniac sports girl fiend that had to be the best at everything and, mm. and have everyone yield to his will that was him so like i could sit and name all the people from my school from this cast list if we wanted but <laughs> listeners would be like who is these people so i'll leave that for another day yeah right uh, number one song when the movie released in 98 was aerosmith's don't want to miss a thing which Ooh. i mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the truman show episode so that was obviously number one for like three months forever <laughs> yep. yeah yeah crazy armageddon that's almost a comedy that we could do but uh not quite. <laughs> maybe not yeah we're not at the that bottom of the barrel yet it's, it's like an accidental unintentional comedy armageddon mm. um what have you done for me lately there's so many stars in this movie so many like great actors that we could talk about all day but i'll, I'll just go with kind of the main cast so jennifer love hewitt probably the biggest name in the movie even though it was only like into the filming that she had become like a really huge star with um i know what you did last summer i think it was mm-hmm. and yep she was doing party of five but that was she wasn't a movie star yet so she kind of blew up while this was filming and probably became the biggest name she's doing a tv show called Nine One One, which i've never heard of but it's like four seasons in have you heard of that one at all i have i've watched it a little bit it's it's merging you know america's have got an infatuation with police fire ambulance they're like you know what let's merge them all into the one show and then also go back to the operators who take these 911 calls and flesh it out from there like it's it's big explosions big drama so and i think they've just done like a 911 texas now and it's got Liv tyler and uh rob lowe as the two leads so there you go go figure all right so ethan embry who plays the main character preston has popped up on sneaky pete he's got a, a lead role there that's a a series on amazon i don't know if you've seen it but my dad is a fan and keeps asking me if i've watched it yet so i have to have to check it out (laughs) just at least watch one episode so yeah i've dad yeah i mean it looks good he says it's good i trust him he's got good taste uh lauren ambrose who plays uh denise 
in this movie. She's just done Servant, a series called Servant, which is on Apple Plus, I believe. Uh, Seth Green, who we've talked about on our Austin Powers episode a few months back with Ali. He did a movie called Changeland that he like wrote and directed, and that had uh, Brecken Meyer, his old friend, on there. Macaulay Culkin was on it. I still haven't seen it, but uh, that's the the biggest thing he's been doing apart from Robot Chicken, which just seems to go on forever. That show cannot be killed. <laughs> Seriously, no. It's one of those like animated, like South Park and Family Guy and Simpsons. Like they just they they must print money and just. It's I guess it's an easy ish show to make because. It's just voice actors and however much time Seth Green wants to put into his stop motion. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Action figures. So Charlie Corsmo, who plays William in this movie. I, yes! <laughs> I I love the character of William. I love his subplot in this movie. This is probably a good time to divert into that and just say like the nerd who, who goes there to with his heist essentially to like attack this jock and embarrass him. He gets caught up in the party. He gets drunk. He forgets why he was there. He becomes like best friends, BFFs for the night with this jock. And then the next day he gets rejected. And you get the pro, the, the epilogue that, uh, you know, he went on to become like a billionaire. Yeah. I just love his arc in this movie. And and this actor, I was like, who is this guy? I know him. He's, he played the kid from Hook, he's, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's Jack in Hook. And I love Hook. Like, I really love... Like, I'm a defender of Hook. And he... So am I. I'll stand on that hill yeah. with you. It's one of the best, like, movies of the 90s, in my opinion. Great fantasy I'm movie. I'm obsessed over that movie. Yeah. And he... So, he was also in Dick Tracy as a, as a child actor. He took a really big, long break, I think, in between Hook and this. And then he's never worked again. He's... Be- yeah, he's a lawyer now, yeah. man. Yeah. He's, he's become um, a, a solicitor or a, something like that. And... Um, I guess he's too smart to, to muck around in Hollywood. But I'm, it's surprising because he's like my favorite person in this movie. And I feel like he could have had like, you know, uh, like he could have had Michael Sarah's style career. He could have had like Jonah Hill's career. Like he could have just done comedy because he's so good in this. But he did actually just come back for a movie in the last 12 months. An indie darling called Chained for Life that I'm sure no one's seen. It made seven. Nor heard of. Yeah, it made it made seventeen thousand dollars, and it's a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, well, you can't argue with those uh, statistics. <laughs> yeah, it's like all over the place, but he's back, so who knows? Um, Jerry O'Connell, who is just one of he's one of those guys that just show, keeps showing up. And Trip I don't McNeely, really, yeah. all right. <laughs> I love how he just says his own name, like Trip McNeely. <laughs> Comes in, thinks he's going to pick up some uh, high school girls and then wanders off into the ether again. Yeah. He's a guy that, like, I never really know. I guess he's kind of a character actor, but he's had lead roles sometimes and I just don't really buy him as, like, as a... Was it Tomcats or something, the movie? where Tomcats was great. Joe's Apartment was really, really good. Yeah, so... Did you ever watch that where it's like the talking cockroaches in his apartment? No, I never saw that. Phenomenal, phenomenal movie. And I think it's 90s too. Okay, so do you rate Jerry O'Connell? Like, what's his career been, really? Well, I think before this, he was was the man in Sliders. Yes, Sliders. Sliders was his show. And then it was like, this. these types of movies was what you'd throw a Jerry O'Connell window. We'd need a a reasonably handsome Mm. dude to either play the lead love interest or the bumbling guy that 
is believable enough to get the the attractive yeah. female love interests and that was him like as you said Tom Katz um and Joe's apartment were the two that come to mind for me I don't really know what he's doing these days so he's just done Star Trek Lower Decks have you heard of this it's, a, no. it's another Star Trek TV show apparently um I think that's what it is I, I wrote it down but so he's like I think one of the lead roles on that he's got some reoccurring appearances in billions as well playing a billionaire okay. uh who gets in a bit of trouble so he's still working and i, I think he is he is good it's just like i just can't peg him where he belongs is, is he is he a lead man is he a, a character actor is he a supporting <clears throat> guy certainly not a lead man he's like the the longevity version of um god what's his name what was that annoying american comedian dude's name Dane Cook. Oh, he's yeah. like the yeah, yeah. he's like the extended cut of Dane Cook. That's who Jerry O'Connell is. Yeah, I can see that. And then uh, old Jenna Elfman from Dharma and Greg was yeah, uh, Angel Stripper showing up as yeah, the Angel Stripper. Apparently, she's on Fear the Walking Dead. Still, she's got like a, a part on that spinoff. God. And I only watched the first season of that, so I haven't kept up. But apparently, she's on it. Yeah, I got zombie <laughs> fatigue. I could not give a rat's about that. Now there's another Walking yeah. Dead spin-off as well that's on Amazon, and it's just like I don't care. Just let the zombies eat everybody. Mm. But old Dharma's slaying zombies apparently. So <laughs> good on her. <laughs> All right. I mean, like, there's so many more people we we could talk about. You know, Jason Siegel, obviously Donald Faison, Jamie Presley. But we'll, we'll leave it for now and, and maybe talk about some them some more later on. Uh, What's the most '90s moment of this film? And there's man, there's so, there's so many things that we might just have to go and and just mention a yeah. bunch of them. <laughs> I've I've got a uh, I've got a a not so short list, that's for sure. Um, like the 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 one that I've probably highlighted and emphasised the moment most is just the entire movie slash the cast. Like it is the epitome of, of '90s, I think, but. The one I've sort of put as my 1B just because of the way it made me feel and like flashback to personal memories is uh, when we're hanging out with uh, William Lichter's nerdy mates where they're, where they're scheming yep. and they're, they're both wearing X-Files t-shirts with the truth is out there. There's Twisted Metal World Tour and on a PlayStation paused in the background. Oh, I, I didn't miss that. That's and awesome. And so those, I'm like, man, I remember playing that game religiously with my mom and my friends and my family and obsessing over the X-Files during the 90s. So that, that's the one that's mm. the biggest for me. I've got got more on the list, but maybe we, I guess yeah. we can maybe let's tag toss team. them back and forth. Yeah, let's go back and forth. So within the first minute of this movie, we see a Game Boy, like the original Game Boy, which I thought was was great. Like that sets the scene for me. I know the Game Boy was like a huge thing for at least like, Pretty much the whole 90s, right? When did the, the yeah, fir- yeah. first Game Boy come out? Was it yep. 91 or something? The first Game Boy, I think, came out... Or 89. On the fringe of... Yeah, I think it was 89 on the yeah. fringe of 1990. There you go. So, very 90s thing to, to see that it was still there and being carried around by a high schooler. Um, I would also like to toss to uh, one of Kenny Fisher's uh, homie G-mates and he's got the upside-down visor and it's got the... <laughs> with the moon eyes brand on it like moon eyes was big for 90s like a car sort of homie g brand so i'm gonna give a give a mention to that Great one yeah i had uh william quoting the speech from independence day <laughs> the president's speech <laughs> this is our I, I can't remember exactly what it is but like this is our 
a day of independence or something it's it was like yeah that if, if you haven't seen independence day enough to recognize what he's doing there you would it would completely go over your head but in 98 i guess it was a a big enough thing that you could reference it and people would understand yeah. what you're talking about. Well, I think about. it was the biggest movie in 1980, if I remember. And uh, Bill Pullman did that speech a lot of justice. Yeah. Um, my next one is uh, three goddamn Smash Mouth songs played throughout the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's three a three. Yeah, there's three different ones. Or at least three different times their music gets played in the movie. I had a running so tally. So have Walking on the Sun... Uh, what else is in there? I didn't write the song names uh, yeah. down. I just had a little. I just had that on my. Yeah. I had actual notepad because my laptop went flat. That's crazy. Yeah, the the music. I guess you could say in general for this movie is just like super duper nineties, and and that's the way. Can't it, get enough of you, baby. Is another one. Yeah. And and I can't remember what the third, or maybe they just looped one of the other ones again, but they appeared three times. Old Smash Mouth. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we know it wasn't All Star because that wasn't until uh, Mystery Men in, I think, 99 mm-hmm. that we covered a few months ago again. But yeah, the, the music, and that's the way it is in these teen movies. Like, that, they do a great job of capturing the vibe, I think. And American Pie did the same thing. Uh, he's, he's talking about, uh, I obviously love William because a lot of mine are coming from him, but he's talking about when he was bullied by by mike and he his parents took him to a 3d uh movie festival <laughs> and he's like i i saw no third dimension <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know if that's, that's a great i don't scene. even know if it's a 90s thing to go to a 3d film festival but it, it, i guess it was like a niche thing because we know that like a, about 10 years later 3d came back for real uh, obviously Avatar was a massive thing in like 09 or 08, whenever that was. Yeah. So it, it's the kind of thing where, yeah, you'd have to be a real nerd to go to a 3D film festival in the 90s. So that felt like it. <laughs> 100%. I'm going to bundle a couple of these in because they're sort of just little throwaways. Yeah. Um, what I like to call Prince hair, where it's sort of the long swooshy hair that's parted in the middle. And so mm. they've got it sort of draping down the sides of their head. That's very 90s. Yes. Uh, chain necklaces. They were big during my school years in the 90s and across the world. And uh, when uh, one of the guys, I think it might have been um, Kenny again, where he refers to condoms as Jimmy hats. <laughs> I remember hearing that a lot as a, as an early teenager in the 90s. Yeah. So you what, did you turn 13 in like 99? I was I was 13 in, um, yeah, 99. Yeah. So I was, I was 12 okay. when this came out. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I'll throw a few out here. There's a there's a Polaroid camera as part of the plot. Like he wants to to take photos of these guys in in the act, you know, to embarrass them. And of course, it, the camera is is a big old chunky Polaroid. Um, the fact that Melissa Joan Hart is in this movie is mm-hmm. very nineties because Sabrina the Teenage Witch was huge in like well, it was on all the time at least in the in the late nineties, and um. The payphone at the drive-in. I was like, that particular image of of uh, Preston using the payphone at the drive-in. Like, you can't get more '90s or '80s or '70s, I guess, than that. It's something that you wouldn't see after like you'd never see a payphone at a drive-in after like 2003 or four. I think. Yeah, no, hundred <clears throat> percent. They were on my list too, and the only other ones I've got. Um, 
the the nerd fellows when they're on the roof and they, and he's talking about dating girls through the internet and it just I just got real like nineties like late nineties Yahoo Messenger like MSN Messenger vibes so mm. I was thinking immediately to that and, and talking to God knows who it could have been through the internet um, a lot of the females having super thin eyebrows that was a big peak nineties thing where it was just you know you'd pluck them to to like a little like I don't know pencil line of thickness. And the yeah. other one was the lack of perfect and or white teeth. So it was before you see a lot of these people just get giant juicy fruit smiles right. and they're, you know, getting all the yeah. teeth whitening and stuff. They're all got their original chompers and they're, you know, some are less than perfect and, and naturally colored as opposed to pure white. So that's my other uh, 90s moment references there. That's a good one. Because I, I, I know like Ben Affleck is definitely <laughs> someone who on this podcast I've noticed in Mole Rats and stuff, he had like very natural teeth and then suddenly he's a big movie star and he's got yeah the pk chewing gum going on yeah um the last one i'm going to throw out there is some of the references like they're talking about brad and gwyneth uh mm-hmm. yeah about how they're, they're just the hot hip couple. <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like so it's pre-jennifer aniston it's pre-angelina jolie it's uh it's the the first form of, of, of Brad Pitt and, and Gwyneth Paltrow because she obviously went on to Ben Affleck and Chris Martin from Coldplay. So, yeah, it, it, it takes me it takes me back. I didn't even remember that they were together. So, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good one. That's a good one. Just listening to them debating it, like when they're talking to me, like, yeah, you're so much hotter than Gwyneth. And then she walks away and they're like, she's definitely not hotter than Gwyneth. Yeah. Gwyneth's the sexiest or whatever. <laughs> so good. All right, most iconic scene. I found this one tough because the whole movie is kind of a big party scene, but did you have anything that jumped out? Yeah, nothing really. Like um, my my sort of references regarding iconic scenes is more so maybe became my favorite scenes because, sure. yeah, what, there wasn't anything that stood above others. And um, like it was sort of an ongoing bit seeing the old Shermanator just in the background <laughs> just stealing stuff. <laughs> Popping into a scene in the back and picking up like the the lolly dispenser from the diner yeah. or stuff from the party, so that one made me giggle a few times. Um, and then the the Paradise City karaoke uh, experience that um, that uh, that Charlie Cosmo or William Lichter did, mm. I thought that was pretty great. But I did have a bit of a bugbear that his microphone wasn't working until like the final quarter of that song. And then it's somehow magically we got some got a bit of reverb out of the microphone and the speaker system, but they're the two. And then oh, and the other one, seeing uh, old Special K in the bathroom doing the the pre Kama Sutra stretches and moves in in there to get ready for for going de- um, to having sex with uh, the girl that's actually in the cast known as Ready to Have Sex Girl. So yeah. that part also made me giggle as well, watching him try and get his moves on and have his like his backpack full of pleasure goods. Yeah, um, that's great because I had Paradise City written down as well. That's such a great kind of moment in the movie. And I also had Seth Green trying to pick up. So when when he's out in the party and he's like, okay, 10 lucky ladies. And it's like the inner monologue inside his head. And he's like mm-hmm. kind of sizing him up and trying to like catch their attention. And uh, one of them blows him off. And he's like, okay, nine lucky ladies. And it's just like, yeah, that's... <laughs> That's great comedy. I really appreciate um, what he brought to that role. Was so good. And did you know someone that was like that character, like dressed in that way? Because it's so over the top. But 
I can also see it happening. <laughs> Maybe not to that level, but I'll, I'll leave these school friends nameless, but I've certainly <laughs> got a few that I went to school with that had fashion sense that didn't quite rival what Kenny was doing, but certainly took homage to a few of those things, especially like just the giant like FUBU jeans, you know, that you could fit like 12 legs down each <laughs> leg in and stuff like that and and sort of the, the homie G attire. I know a few guys from my school that uh, maybe still rock it to this day. Yeah. There's a great quote from uh, Ethan Embry about Seth Green saying he would he would never come out with us. He had this business where you would mail him a picture of yourself and then he'd sculpt and paint your head and put it on any action figure you wanted. <laughs> then he would do stop motion with them and make VHS videos. We'd call him a nerd and go out and get drunk while he was making himself a millionaire. <laughs> that's so funny because that's, <laughs> that's what so Robot great. Chicken is now. <laughs> that's, and it, yeah, it was built off off their laughter tears that they had for just mocking him for being a nerd. And, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> look, look at me now. So good. Look at me now, Ethan Embry. But yeah, that scene, the scene you mentioned with the backpack, like when, he, when he's, even when he's like showing his friends what's in the backpack and it's like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I look at that and I think, this is a guy who's he's ready to take care of his, you know, his prospective date, which makes me think he's probably way ahead of his time with manscaping as well, wouldn't you say? I would definitely say that. I think he was probably one of the pioneers of manscaping in the late 90s. Yeah, I'm sure in that backpack, he probably had the 90s version of the Lawnmower 3.0. So it's a good time for us to tell you now that support for Comedy Rewind is brought to you by Manscaped, the very best in men's self-care, hygiene, and below-the-waist grooming. Great news for listeners, you can experience Manscaped's life-changing products around the world with a handy 8-bit discount code. The Manscaped engineering team has redesigned the electric trimmer, perfecting the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 with a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. You got the USB powered charging stand, you got the LED torch light, you got waterproof tech for easy grooming in the shower, and a battery life that lasts up to 90 minutes. It's hard to feel your best when you don't look your best, and for a lot of blokes, that means you gotta tidy things up chest hair, back hair, maybe you got those hobbit feet, but Manscaped's here for all of it and everything in between. Surveys show that most women prefer a clean look. I'm sure Kenny would have said that if anyone had asked him about it. Uh, but we know the modern man wants to keep their body hair neat and tidy. You just need the right tools for the job. And you don't want to be messing around when it comes to the delicates. So get the right gear only at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Use the code 8bit at manscaped.com. You will not regret it, listeners. I am a advocate and uh, avid, avid user of the Manscaped products and can confirm that Lawnmower 3.0 is yet to snick or nick me and I have done this both in and out of the shower. Uh, I feel like I'm a, a samurai with this thing and uh, <laughs> I have never looked as preened and taut in my entire life since maybe since maybe birth. You know, that's, that's how streamlined I'm looking these days. So uh, yeah. shout out to Manscaped. Very good. Very good. Okay. Uh, so... What holds up the best? Because I want to say off the top, the pop culture references in this movie were picked very well because they're still relevant, I think. Like X-Files, Brad Pitt, Pearl Jam, a lot of the stuff that's getting mentioned, they're all fairly... Like they, they picked things that were so big at the time that they hopefully knew that they would still be known, you know, 22 years later. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you in that. I think they nail the pop culture references. Uh, it's it's funny because it's it's a common uh, go to for the for this question. I guess maybe throughout a lot of comedy rewind, and the soundtrack naturally does. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of songs on that soundtrack or played as featured music that is timeless. Uh, which you hear a lot of these songs still on the radio today, or most most of these artists people will be familiar with. So the the soundtrack itself is phenomenal. Um, and outside of that, I think that the movie as a whole really, really holds up well. Like outside of a few unsavory, uh, derogatory things they say that we'll probably talk about <laughs> down the line regarding, uh, you know, who's the most offended. Uh, overall, the movie doesn't really overstep too many boundaries with its humor. It's it's uh, positioned in a way that teens and, and adults, young and old adults, I could say, would probably have a chuckle and take something out of it and i don't know it's just a it's just a timeless tale you know the boy meets girl boy falls in love boy wants mm. to win girl boy hopefully gets girl you know that's it's a simple simple narrative loop that just most people i think can enjoy and relate to in a way yeah i, I like that the way it captures some of these timeless experiences and it, it might not be like I, I didn't go any parties like this in high school but i definitely you know, experienced some of these social situations or, or knew some of the people that reminded me of these characters. And and after watching it, I was thinking like so many of the, the characters of this movie are like the 90s version of like the Breakfast Club. Like you can pretty much go back to those stock standard teen uh, archetypes and see like, yeah, you got the jock, you got the nerd, you got the weird kid that thinks they're maybe a bit better than, than everyone or... Or whatever you got the the guy that um, you know is 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 like the the outcast, but he's he's a nice guy and he's he's not nerdy enough to hang out with the nerds, and he's but he can kind of pass you know with some of the cool kids. It's just um, you know, and while while watching it, I didn't I didn't notice that, and it didn't like jump out at me that I was watching something that was kind of built paint by the numbers. It wasn't until I really thought about it. So I guess in that sense, it, it felt like they were the 90s version of these characters and that made them feel somewhat fresh. Yeah, no, I um, it, it just brought back so many memories. Like I think I might've gone to my first parties around or just after this movie coming out. So yeah, <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot of things I can relate to in, in this movie and, and remember back to and be secretly ashamed of, which I'll never talk about. But uh, yeah. Well done to everybody involved. Until an eight-bit cast where we make you share. That's true. Wouldn't wouldn't take me much to uh to divulge that information. That's for sure. Yeah, do it all for the content. What holds up the worst, Brendan? Oh, it's got to be the homophobia, right? Like they're just yeah, like blatant. Yeah, that's <laughs> running through yeah, the whole that, movie. That sort of jumps in holds up the worst and most offended for me. Like, yeah, yeah there was. I think I heard a good half a dozen homophobic slurs mm. throughout this movie um whether it be aimed at somebody or just using it to to talk negatively about a situation or something that's happening like um yeah it's it's a bit rough so that that's that's the yeah the thing that holds up the worst for me and then secondary in a little bit of a lighter tone the fashion sense and things we mentioned <laughs> as far as the most 90s things like for 90s it was perfect but yeah. seeing some of those things realized maybe today I'd be like oh boy no thanks yeah there's like a, a whole sequence where someone just yells out like 
you know, the the gay slur at Mike's character and everyone just yeah. cracks up laughing. And then he's like really mad about it and he's like, Oh, they called me blah blah, blah like called me that and it's like he's it's just like essentially it's like a minute of screen time dedicated to laughing at this word, being offended by it. Um because because someone could be suggesting that he's gay and that's so foreign to the social climate now like you would would never get away with releasing a movie like that unless it was being done to be provocative or something whereas at the time mm-hmm. that's just how people talked and it was just the way like it was just part of the the language that was used um it goes a bit further than that as well though with, with um you know the the cops show up with um, Mike and William in, like embracing each other and they're like, look at these sickos or something. And it's like... Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> like if it was a guy yeah. and a girl like over each other, they wouldn't say anything like that. They would just be like, oh, look at these crazy kids. But instead it's like, let's throw these two gay kids in jail, basically. Yeah. Yeah, for no reason apart from being passed out on on the lawn of this party. So yeah, it's very bad taste. But thinking of a lot of the shows and movies, like going back and I rewatched like Friends last year again, mm-hmm. and the amount of like just off the cuff references of using like homosexual terms or, or shots towards gay people, and that it was just just like saying hello to people. It felt <laughs> like it was so often. Yeah. in friends and then you see it sort of translate into these movies like yep that that was just hollywood at the time and luckily we've gotten a bit more aware and, and less stupid as far as throwing that kind of stuff around and using it as as a weapon as opposed to just a something that someone can some carry carry around with a bit of, bit of pride so uh yeah that part with the police is pretty rough yeah <laughs> there's also a line that doesn't hold up that well i think where you know w- william goes into the diner last scene of the movie and he's trying to talk to Mike and he gets rejected like the the previous night never happened and one of the jocks is like go play on your computer (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just like everybody like plays video games now or not everybody you know Mm -hmm. but everybody spends time on computers in one way or another whether it's your smartphone or a laptop or whatever and even like NBA players, like the biggest jocks there are, they're playing tons of video games. Uh, so <laughs> it's quite funny that that's the go-to nerdy thing is to say, go play on your computer. Yeah, yeah, very weak, very low-hanging fruit for the 90s, I guess. Yeah. Um, who would be the most offended? We've kind of talked about the gay community uh, and, and allies of that. And the only other thing I thought was interesting is that they got an N-word into this movie they uh, did in that scene with the you know the 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 homeboy i guess the white guy it, it is played i think in context like he gets beat up for saying it yeah so it yeah off of, camera they, they yeah i'm guessing they go to town on him so it kind of like it's not like they're trying it's, it's it's not really a sign that like, that wouldn't be too much different if that scene happened today i guess is what i'm saying yeah, no, nah, it'd play out the same. Um, a few other ones I wanted to mention as far as who'd be most offended, yeah. potentially foreign exchange students <laughs> with their portrayal, with, you know, what what they're getting into saying English, like because he doesn't know apparently a lick of English and yeah. he's just walking around. It's it's funny, it's like they've finished high school, like the year's done. He's So he's presumably been there for a year already, but they're playing it like he just arrived in, in America. He doesn't yeah. know any English. <laughs> yeah, so that one, and then... Um, 
then I, I guess sort of women or, or especially young women in general, like most of them are just played out in this movie as sex objects, uh, whether it be the the casting uh, roles or titles that they've got in, in the movie themselves. But every girl you meet in it is pretty much just trying to hook up with someone else for the most part. Like obviously, yes, Amanda and um, Lauren are probably a little bit more fleshed out and and. Uh, have some brains behind them and showing that they're more than just just TNA like the rest of the ones in here. But like the kiss that uh, Amanda cops from her like cousin-in-law, yeah. like it's very rapey. Like it goes on for a long time. And uh, yeah, that that part was a little bit like, ooh, that's that's pretty rough too. So so there are a couple other ones I wanted to to mention as far as who would be most offended or rightfully offended from this movie. Yeah, that's a, a a weird moment. I think like, like th- uh, they had to kind of make it a really long kiss so that um, Preston could could walk in and, and see it happening and then like walk out again. But it, yeah, it just it's really awkward because she's clearly not into it and trying to stop yeah. it the whole time. And then at the end of, doesn't it say at the end of the movie that or maybe that was in the direct like something that got cut out of it? But he is apparently in the the you know the epilogue how it says what everyone what, what happened to all the characters five years later or whatever and apparently that second cousin ended up in prison so maybe uh that's oh wow yeah i didn't I, I didn't see that so that must have been in a deleted scene because yeah i yeah. completely missed that i found that on the the imdb there's like this, this whole like arc of these different characters that got cut out of the movie including like a, a drunk girl who um, they had to have subtitles to show what she was trying to say, but she was like the voice of reason in like every scene, <laughs> every mm-hmm. major scene. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we can we can move on from that one, I think, into how does this movie pass the internet relevancy test? I don't think it does because as much as it's a really great movie, uh, it's it just doesn't get brought up i feel like it doesn't get mentioned it doesn't like 10 things i hate about you and american pie do those movies get referenced way more than this and i think this kind of paved the way obviously we talked at the top about this being pre like cliche in some ways for the teen movie um and it's one of the reasons i guess that it took me this long to get to the podcast for uh, to to get to the movie on this podcast is because it's just um a movie that as much as it was kind of formative in in the genre it's it's not super um pop culture it doesn't get referenced like these other things yeah it's like it's a quiet achiever and and i think it's even though it was sort of a, a trailblazer for this genre uh yeah it doesn't get held in the same light as those other franchises you mentioned even like things like road trip and euro trip and stuff like that are Mm. are spoken about him with more regularity and reference than this so yeah i don't think it it holds up to the internet relevancy test i even sort of went okay let's let's jump on twitter and just search gifts for uh can't hardly wait until pops up and there was like two and even them i'm like yeah i've never seen them use i've never seen a meme used for from from this movie anywhere um and there is some some great quotable moments in this in this movie but yeah it's just it's just sort of in the corner, you know, it, it, it did its thing, it opened the door for all yeah. these other franchises and I guess it maybe went and sat down on the couch and just let them have their have their say. So it's a shame because it's a great movie. Yeah, I feel like the beer's gone bad could be one that gets 
used because that's <laughs> yeah. such a that's tastes such like a great beer to moment. me. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone bad. Do not drink the beer. <laughs> and there was what was it? He's like, and um, when he's like, you are far too fine to be so so sad. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, man, if I got that a little bit younger, I probably would have used that at yeah. a at a party myself and failed miserably. Uh, Seth Green's so funny. This might be my favorite Seth Green role, I think. It's up there. I really liked him in Idle Hands as well. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Haven't seen it's that. like a horror comedy. Yeah. Okay. Um, how would smartphones and social media change this movie? Um, Quite a and bit, it just I think. cut out a lot of the suspense and the chase, like mm. uh, where Denise and Kenny are trapped in the bathroom. They just call Preston or call a friend, yeah. "Yo, stuck in the bathroom, come get me out." <laughs> uh, Amanda and that letter, maybe Preston might have just DM'd his feelings to her on on a social media platform as opposed to the nice handwritten letter. Or when Amanda's trying to find him, mm. um, she would have just done the same. Where did you go? Or she would have never maybe had the blow up to him because she could have just lurked him beforehand who is this Preston guy that wrote me this letter see the face and go okay I know who I'm looking for now and then yeah. when they have that big exchange out the out the back near the pool she's just be like yo that's really sweet let's let's go get some lunch or get some dinner I guess and mm-hmm. you know talk it out more so would have just cut most of the movie most of the plot out yeah it's like I guess they'd have to find ways around it like being stuck in that bathroom there's no phone service and yeah and the the whole thing where William you know shows up and Mike's pretending like they would they never knew it, they never hung out the night before that they didn't bond like they would have the, all these selfies together probably if it was these days and all this proof that they spent the night together the dudes on the roof all night that just get got forgotten about I feel yeah, like they yeah. they'd be texting William being like what's going on man what what are you doing down there like why are you taking so long yeah it's cold up here on this roof let's yeah. go <laughs> but they didn't seem to really mind it did they they weren't really complaining about it no they had a good time up there talking about their internet girlfriends and she was what she was a model on a photo shoot in Fiji or something yeah. like that if <laughs> I remember right which made me giggle and they're like <laughs> they're lightsaber fights with the torches that was yeah. pretty fun so yeah I think this is a movie where it's a, it's a good example of how smartphones and social media have changed so much of what of what we do and how we interact, especially for young mm-hmm. people. You know, they'd probably be using apps I've never heard of if this was made today. But speaking of of making it today, what would this movie look like if it came out now? Because the last like party movie that I saw was Project X, and I really like that movie. Uh, had, I enjoyed that it too. It had some yeah. similar kind of things where it's mostly based around this one party that goes all night and goes off. But it's more of like that, I guess, because of when it came out around like, you know, 2012 or whatever, it's like hidden, like found footage or whatever you call that style of movie where it's the handheld, shaky cam kind of thing. So, what, what do you reckon this movie would look like now if you could make it? That or super bad, but just a more lighthearted super bad for me. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, uh, Preston and Michael Sarah. There, yeah. there you go, straight <laughs> off the bat. You know, direct comparison. And I had yeah. that in my notes. So I was, I sort of smiled a little bit when you mentioned him earlier <laughs> in the in the podcast. So I could see a more lighthearted in tone super bad. You know, may, oh, who knows? Maybe they'd get edgy and still do jokes about periods and stuff. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> I could see that movie translating. 
uh, very well to a modern day one. Yeah, Michael Sarah is probably like 35 now, I'm guessing. But um, I'm sure there's a, a young kid waiting to be discovered with uh, that, that style about him. 100%, 100%. But did you see, I was doing some some research on this and apparently last year, Jennifer Love Hewitt was on uh, Danny Pellegrino's podcast called Everything Iconic. And mm. apparently she's developing a Can't Hardly Wait 2, which she's going to direct herself. So, really? Yeah, and the concept revolves around the reunion of the original high school gang from the 1998 film. So that okay. seems a bit weak, just, just sort of mailing it in and just doing like a, no doubt, like a 20-year reunion type of spin, I'm assuming it'd be. But yeah, like an American reunion. Yeah, it could reunion. be number, number two in the work. Look, I'd definitely watch it. <laughs> so I can't, I can't dump on it too much, but it does sound like the laziest way to, to do this. And I wonder why she's the one behind i know she has worked a bit like behind the camera but you'd think that the original writers the original directors would get first dibs on something like that but yeah i know i know she wrote and uh i think produced and directed a few episodes of the ghost whisperer back <laughs> in the day <laughs> oh my she really became just a, a kind of a, a tv star didn't she after yeah. It all? yeah yeah i can't remember the last film she was i saw her in to be honest what was the movie where it was like her and Jamie Lee Curtis? Are you like thinking her and, and daughter? No, nah, you're thinking her and Sigourney Weaver. Oh yeah, that and one. And they're um yeah, and they're sort of scamming people. Yeah, yeah, like con yeah, artists, mother and daughter. That's the last one I can remember as well. Heartbreakers. Heartbreakers. Two thousand one. There you go. It's almost yeah. It's almost uh almost the nineties, so it's only like three years after this. Yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, she's still working, so we can't we can't dump on her either. We are up to the part where I just want to do some useless trivia and say that, man, the people in this movie, Jason Siegel, Selma Blair, Donald Faison, Brecken Meyer, Jamie Presley, all people that became very well known a year later, maybe two years later, they really mm -hmm. hit on some young talent in this movie. And I think it's because they were all in the same young Hollywood circles and they were all friends and out of work and able to work together. I think Brecken Meyer, who was obviously like the, the lead in Road Trip a few years later, he was dating one of the writers and directors and he was originally going to take that Seth Green role but was working in something else. So he said, oh, my friend Seth Green could do this. And uh, that's how we got that iconic <laughs> performance. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so the band that Brecken Meyer's in, apparently, <laughs> Love Burger. Yeah, uh, Love Burger. There's people in this movie: Seth Green, Donald Faison, Alexander Martin, and Brecken Meyer. Two of them are in the band in this movie, and each, all four of them would later appear in Josie and the Pussycats as members of a band um, who oh, also wow. fought amongst themselves. <laughs> So that's, that's fantastic. I, I was devastated we never got a single chord out of Love Burger. I know that they, they, they broke up and got back together without playing a single song. Crazy. It's a shame. They would have rocked it out. I'm sure. Especially, you know, when you have a, a, a black drummer with a cowboy hat, I just want to see what that what kind of style that guy has when he's playing, you know. Yeah. And then Brecken Meyer sort of has like a, a prince outfit going on and yeah, it was gonna be a mishmash of genres, that's mm. for sure. It is it is a very high school thing to have like this mishmash of like people in a band because they were, they didn't know anyone else and they each have like their different musical style, but they're mm. just kind of forced to play together instead. 
The Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. Steve Buscemi. A real spark plug. As much as, you know, it would be great to give it to the Shermanator, uh, we just had him on the Major Pain podcast a couple of weeks ago. You know, he doesn't have any lines, so I'm not going to not gonna give him the Spark Plug Award. Okay. The, the nominations that I had were uh, Jason Siegel, just because I, yep. I love Jason Siegel. Doesn't have a lot to work with. Brecken Myers, pretty good in, in the band, and Donald Faison. But I want to give it to Melissa Joan Hart because she's got a really small role, but it's always pretty funny when she shows up. She's so chirpy. You know, she's trying to get a yearbook signed and just getting constantly smacked around and rejected. Yeah, I like that. I I could second that. Like, uh, yeah, Vicky, the yearbook girl, she's she's usually sort of the biggest personality in the scenes because she's just that typical like i think back to graduating or whatever else and it's like oh my god this is the biggest moment of our lives we're going to be friends forever quick sign this like i remember that <laughs> naive optimism that uh vicky showed and uh my, I, I feel you vicky you know we were all there so uh yeah she, she was a bit of a scene still like um yeah like jason siegel could be close but yeah i think i could probably side with you on that one like um as far as the bit characters go yeah, I mean, if they didn't cut out Jason Siegel's line about the watermelon and the vodka, he might have had a better chance at it. But also, shout out to Michelle Brookhurst, who plays Girl Whose Party It Is. Oh, yep. <laughs> Just watching her, like, break down over the course of the movie <laughs> as, as the party gets more and more out of control. Yeah, you got to feel for her. Like, she's she's crawling on her hands and knees trying to, to sniff out the dog poo shoe and, <laughs> you know, the... The family portrait's been vandalized and the toilet's destroyed and, you know, the house is just in shambles. Like, I feel for anyone that used to used to throw a house party because there's so much stress and risk involved yeah. of people that just go there and just do not care. So, I, I certainly feel for girl who throws party. Mm. And it makes me think before we move on completely, the fact that Seth Green's character could be stuck in the bathroom for that long at a party with that many people seems really implausible like there's got to be someone looking for a spare bathroom at some point yeah yeah well remember yeah that was the the upstairs that no one was allowed to go to but he sort of sweet talked his way in there so maybe maybe girl who throws house party was just very diligent on those stairs Mm. and didn't let anyone else up true true all right so last question is can't hardly wait still a good movie it is man it really is like i watched it last night and um it's got a bit of a longer runtime. It's like an hour 45 or something, if I remember right. And uh, it flew by. Yeah, mm. there's only really three locations or four if you include the the train station. So majority of the film is is uh, based around this house party, but it's good. I really like the characters. I like the writing. I like the jokes. I liked the tone. The pop culture references, as you mentioned earlier, are pretty timeless and people can understand these references to today or more so for you know growing up in this era so um yeah i think it's a good movie i i really enjoyed it i wasn't sort of looking at my watch going when the hell is this going to finish like i was sitting there with a smile the majority of the film maybe hard eyes with it too looking at uh jennifer love hewitt who's just a (laughs) just a goddess of a woman but um just great film great film good heart good laughs good writing well worth a watch yeah i think it holds up better than American Pie, which was the bigger hit. 
that was one of the first podcasts that's uh, one of the first episodes we did of this podcast and it was this is so much so much better made like the the pacing of it's better the the editing's better like it's just like even though it was a, a small budget of 10 million dollars you could see that they knew what they were doing they blocked it out well like the 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 car uh the cinematography's great like the way that the party is set out like it feels like it was a real party not just yeah, yeah. um they threw a bunch of extras in the background like it just feels authentic and it just works like it's the kind of movie where unlike american pie for all of its classic moments like i think if you showed this to an 18 year old now an american pie there's no way they're gonna have any trouble picking which one is better because i think this is just a, as a film it just works on a lot of levels and it's just fun without being you know over the top it's fun without being like corny. yeah there's no reliance on shock and awe or anything like american pie there's yeah, no unnecessary the just humor. yeah yeah no no need to have sex with a pie or anything else of, of that ilk like it's just it's just good fun the jokes land and the the actors they seem committed to the role. Like, they're believable. Everyone in their roles, they're perfectly cast. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't even mind seeing some of those American Pie characters in this movie because it would be like a more, like, maybe slightly toned down version of them, but it would be a lot of fun having Stifler at this party and, and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. did did you uh, see the um, Mike character and think, this guy, he, he looks a lot like Mike from Stranger Things. <laughs> I I didn't think that like I had to sort of actually pause and work out where I knew him from and then it's like oh yep it's the dad from uh from Twilight okay so that's that's what right. I know him as so that's that's what I immediately sort of pulled my way through and I had to pause in another scene sort of slightly off track where they're doing a pan through the through the kitchen and there's a girl in there staring and playing with a banana yeah. And it's actually the lady that plays Tara from Buffy, who's like Willow's love interest in, in a few of the seasons of Buffy. Right. She doesn't get credit, doesn't have a line or anything, but I'm like, hey, I know you. I remember you as well. Like <laughs> so many, so many little random cutaways to people that are notable, yeah, as you said earlier, like years after the fact. Yeah. I, I just felt like he looked like the big brother of Mike in in Stranger Things, but um I, I couldn't stop thinking about that. Anyway. Um overall, yes, good movie. I think we can agree and that wraps up the episode so dear listeners you can let us know what you thought of can't hardly wait if you've seen it recently how did it hold up you can leave your podcast ratings and reviews in podcast service of choice whether that be apple Podcasts, podchaser or anywhere else that does reviews brenda do you know any others that do ratings and reviews um most of the most of the players i think like um Player FM, Radio FM, TuneIn, mm. uh, Stitcher, all those, they allow you to do reviews and ratings too. But I think, yeah, Apple Podcasts is the the main one. And then yeah. Podchase, which I hope keeps ascending and, and adding more features and enhancements and functionalities to their website and maybe has a podcast player come out in the near future. That sure. should be the place to be. All right. You can find me on the socials at Jonah himself. And Brendan, people can catch you on The Hungry Gamers and The Hungry Game Show. Is there anything you want to plug while you're here? Um, not particularly. Like, uh, yeah, just find me everywhere at Brendan 8-Bit. Find us as a collective at We Are 8-Bit. But uh, I guess big, exciting things are coming. We're going with a bit of a bit of a change up and a bit of a retool in the new year with 8-Bit with some, some very exciting mm. things on the horizon. So uh, 
Looking forward to that. We've got our end of year extravaganza on The Hungry Gamers slated for two weeks from today. And then the week after that is our Festivus airing of Grievances annual wrap-up episode with uh, some pretty special guests jumping on board there. So get hyped for that too. I like how you say extravaganza like you're fancy. Oh yeah, I, I ripped it straight off RuPaul, RuPaul's Drag Race. That's how he says it. <laughs> okay. So I've just sort of taken it. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's probably the only fancy thing about me is the way I pronounce extravaganza. <laughs> Brilliant. And I guess around the same time as this podcast, we've probably got our Assassin's Creed Valhalla review and spoiler cast going up on the Hungry Gamers feed. We've also recently sat down to chat about Spider-Man Miles Morales. So if you've finished either of those games or you want to hear our thoughts on them, you can check out like the first half of those is kind of spoiler free and then we go deep into the narratives of both games so a lot of fun talking about uh what have we been doing on our ps5s and uh, xbox series x's but uh for now dear listeners we're drawing close to the end of 2020 so thank you for joining us again on comedy rewind be kind <laughs>